toxic. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Friday. Has anyone else felt like this has been a super long week? It always is bad for me when it's Monday and I think it's Tuesday. I never really know what day it is, but I'd rather always feel like it is a day earlier in the week than it actually is because then when I have the epiphany of what the actual day is, there's upside surprise. When it's actually a day earlier than you think it is, that's bad. No, that's okay. When it's actually a day late, no, which is a coca? This is Friday. Anyway, it's been a long week. Toxic is the word of the day. Woke up yesterday and did a show. Everything was fine. Coca texts me in the middle of the day and said, we have a big Met story coming out. Maybe it'll come out before we do Friday's show. Woke up this morning. There's What's better than opening your eyes and seeing the name on your phone, Matthew Coca, iMessage? That means that something's going on. Either he needs bail money, that's a possibility, or he needs an escape route, that's a possibility, or he's got a story that needs to be on today's Nothing Personal. And when I click that moment of anticipation, when you click on a text message, because you don't have the actual text message on your phone, on your lock screen, you just have the fact that you have a text message. By the way, you should change it if you do go right to your message, because that's not necessary. So when you click that moment of unlocking and then going to the text, that anticipatory anxiety of, do I need to hurry up and get dressed and call a resident security advisor? Or do I need to hurry up and get dressed and drive or fly and help COCA? In fact, all I had to do this morning was read a long article that was printed in The Athletic this morning about the New York Mets and their toxic culture. This is a story that has been written about several times already, where under previous ownership, there are instances of misogynistic behavior, whether it's Mickey Calloway, Jared Porter, who is under the new ownership, where the only person in common is Sandy Alderson, actually, from old ownership to new ownership. And the article today went even deeper and named more names and more people who worked in the front office in the old regime and in some cases in the new regime where there was inappropriate workplace behavior. And what struck me about this article was three things. One, Steve Cohn, who has his own history of leading companies that have major workplace misconduct issues, has made it very clear that it's a new day. The sun has come up and he has realized that he needs to be better. And so he's hired a company, a law firm, to investigate the culture that is the Mets. And we've talked about that. It's so absolutely misguided, right? Because whatever they find, they're going to go through Steve Cohn before it's announced. And Steve Cohn, I promise you, will make sure that what is found is that under the old regime, there were unacceptable examples of behavior. But under the new regime, all's great. Once they fired Jared Porter, of course, but now it's all great. Steve Cohn is doing a lot that is similar to what Derek Jeter did in Florida when I left trying to make everything that was wrong with the team my fault and to start over and make everything good again. Steve Cohn is trying to do that, saying that everything was bad under the Wilpons, and now I'm here. I've saved the day like Wonder Dog. I'm here to save the day. 
Well, in order to save the day, you have to surround yourself with people who are capable of helping you save the day. And for reasons unbeknownst to anyone within baseball, Steve Cohn has chosen to have Sandy Alderson as his savior. Sandy Alderson, who is a baseball guy, a well-educated veteran, a good man in many regards, but not equipped to run the business side of an organization. His days are probably over in terms of running the baseball side of an organization. He's more of a placeholder at the moment for Steve Cohn, someone who had been there, who Steve Cohn knew, even though Sandy says he doesn't know Steve well, didn't know Steve well, but now they're getting to know each other well, I guess. And Sandy was asked about these articles that were going to be written about in The Athletic about the Mets, asked about the toxic work culture, asked to comment, and Sandy did not waste a minute in showing his true colors as it relates to these topics. When you are asked to comment about things that happened not on your watch, you take the call and you release the comment in statement form in an email to the writer. You don't get into a conversation because then questions can be asked and it can be reported that you hemmed or hawed. You write an email. In the old days, you would fax a written statement. You would write an email that says, I take full responsibility for everything that took place during my time with the team. There is no question that things were going on that I was not aware of, that I should have been aware of. But I assure you, in my new tenure with my new owner, Steve Cohn, we are making sure that that type of behavior not only will never take place again, but that anyone who believes that that type of behavior is acceptable will not be a part of this organization. And you leave it at that. But Sandy couldn't help himself. And I believe what he said in this article today is the end of Sandy's career. And I don't say that lightly because I don't like when people lose their careers unless it's merited. I don't like when people lose their careers because they're not good at PR or they're not good at statements. I prefer you to lose your career when you're not good at your job. And part of being good at your job this day and age is understanding how to deal with the media and understanding how to deal with workplace culture issues. For whatever reason, Sandy was asked to comment in this article and he did. He said, let me try to make a point as strongly as I can, okay? Not every instance involving men, women in the workplace is a capital offense, okay? Every time something happens, it doesn't mean somebody has to be fired. Let me stop you there, Sandy. You know better. You defended our country. You served in the armed forces. Very well educated. You've been around the block in baseball. You know very well the conversations that happen around the death penalty. I think it is critical when you are in a position of power and influence to choose your words carefully. We all don't choose them carefully every time. I'm as guilty as the next guy. Always, when there's a microphone in front of you every day for 45 minutes, it's going to be hard. When you run a team for 18 years and you're the front-facing, public-facing person, it's going to be hard. You are going to make mistakes. Some mistakes are avoidable, like allowing workplace discrimination or workplace misogyny. 
or having a toxic culture that you are responsible for. And other things that are avoidable is analogies that are misguided and misplaced all to try to make a point. And the point that Sandy was trying to make is that certain things that go on in a company, while they may not be good and they may be hurtful to women, they may be uncomfortable to women, but we're not talking life or death here. Well, Sandy, to the women who were impacted by this, to the women who left baseball because of your culture, to the women who were made uncomfortable by the people you hired and then tried to rehire, yeah, I'm talking about David Newman. It is a life-changing event that can cause deleterious impacts for days, weeks, months, years, and decades. Don't try to downplay what people are feeling because it's their feelings, it's their reality, it's their life. He then went on and he doubled down. There are a lot of intermediate steps that can be taken and we've done that in a variety of different cases. That's really not good to say, by the way. You don't say that you've done the intermediate steps in a variety of different cases because what you're saying to the reporter is, hey, Sandy, tell me about those other cases because we may not be aware of them, but we'd like to know. And then you're forced to say, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm just talking about the ones that you've uncovered. Uh-oh. He then said, in the variety of different cases, we have included capital punishment as a consequence in some cases, but not every case rises to the level of execution. I'm just going to leave that there for you. I'm not even going to comment on it. Do you want me to comment on it? No, you don't. You don't need me to comment on it. That's usually what I say right before I'm going to comment on it. Not in this case. And that's what honestly I think is happening, Sandy said, with these articles in The Athletic. People are getting executed, including women, by the way, for reasons that are unjustifiable. He then says, is there ever a statute of limitations on coverage of some of this stuff? That's it, Sandy. Steve, if you're serious about changing the toxic culture that you've both inherited and perpetuated in your previous life, current life, and existing life, then Sandy Alderson cannot be the leader of your organization. There is no statute of limitations on coverage of some of this stuff. And the reason why is that until every single person is brought to light for the actions they take, for the actions that at the end of the day cause harm because they're harmful, cause anxiety because they're anxiety provoking, cause in some cases permanent damage because of the severity of what workplace harassment can do to people. There is no statute of limitations for uncovering these wrongdoings. This is not a criminal trial. This is not a civil trial where statute of limitations, which is a legal concept, and you're a lawyer, Sandy, you know this. Statute of limitations refers to a period of time after which discovering an action, you have to make that action known to the court and bring a suit after it has been discovered. And that's in court. In the court of public opinion, we've all learned this year when there has been a huge change, thank 
God, a huge change in people's reactions and tolerance to what had been widely accepted as normal previously. And that change comes on the back of women who are willing to step forward in an industry, especially where women stepping forward has always been looked down upon, has always been disallowed, has always led to being disavowed. Why Sandy would discuss statute of limitations is beyond me. I will watch as this unfolds with you all, but this story is far from over. The athletic smells chum in the water as well they should. They are making a difference. These stories are not easy to write. They're not easy to report. They're not easy to talk about, but they are necessary. And for everyone running a business right now out there, everyone listening to this who has run or is running a business, you know very well that your human resources department is critical to the success of your company and creating an atmosphere where people feel free to explain when they are uncomfortable and what made them uncomfortable, to give them avenues of expression is more important than any part of your company today. We will see what happens going forward, but there will be more litigation. Speaking of litigation, I read something yesterday that I had not seen before that I can recall. Daniel Snyder is back in the news. Daniel Snyder is the owner of the Washington football team. Coca thinks we talk way too much about the Washington football team on today's show because we have two topics about it because they're two things that are hugely interesting to me. One, Daniel Snyder is suing his former team president, Bruce Allen. That's newsworthy because usually when you fire someone, there is a settlement if there's money owed. Often the person who's fired does the suing because they want to get paid because they want to say they were terminated without cause versus being terminated with cause. It is extraordinarily rare, Coca, and I don't recall seeing it ever before, an owner suing his or her or their president. And wait till you hear why. It's a good one, folks. Daniel Snyder, who puts the I in insecure, believes that Bruce Allen was leaking information to the media about Dan Snyder for the sole purpose of making Dan Snyder look bad in an effort to get him to sell the team. Remember all the limited partner issues? He just bought out his limited partners, but they were in a fight with his limited partners. They wanted to leave. They wanted to sell. They were trying to figure out a price. They finally got a price. He borrowed money from the NFL, yada, yada, yada. And Dan Snyder started this lawsuit because he believes that there was a concerted effort, like a conspiracy to make him look bad. Ironically, a conspiracy was not necessary to make Dan look bad. Effort was not even required to make him look bad. But now he's doubling down, trying to save his soul and his reputation by actually filing this suit. And all Bruce Allen has to do in his response, which he will do, he could actually counter, but I don't think he will. All he actually needs to do is respond, maybe an interrogatory, where you have to answer questions from the other side as you're getting ready for a civil lawsuit. Maybe all he has to do is say the following. I did nothing to make Dan Snyder look worse 
than he did to make himself look worse. My job was to protect him as much as I could, but there came a point where he was unable to be protected. I didn't need to leak one thing to the media because they had it all from other employees and other co-owners. There was nothing that is secretive within an organization in sports because there are more leaks than a 70-year-old house that is dilapidated with no roof. Love, Bruce. I wonder who's advising Dan Snyder. That's what I was thinking about preparing for the show. It would seem that he is surrounded by nothing but psychophants who say to him, you're right, Dan, we got to get him. We got to get Bruce. We got him. File a lawsuit for sure. Oh, there's no doubt that he's after you and he did this. He leaked this. You got to change the narrative about you, Dan, and this is the way to do it. That's in response to Dan saying to his advisors, isn't this the way to change my narrative? Confirmation bias. When you get the answer you want, and then you stop asking the questions because you heard the answer from someone that confirms the belief you had in the subject of which you are discussing. Owners who surround themselves with psychophants will fail every single time. It is hard to talk, speak up to an owner. It's hard to say no to an owner. We've talked about that before, owner's prerogative. Sometimes you have to say yes. Sometimes you can say no. Sometimes you choose a hill to die on. Sometimes you don't. You can't overchoose that hill because then you lose credibility. But if owners are not willing to have anyone around them who will say no, they are bound to lead a team that fails. And it is hard to dispute that Washington has done anything other than fail under the leadership of Dan Snyder. Hey, Coca, do they have a Super Bowl win under Snyder? Do they have a Super Bowl appearance under Snyder? I'm going to say that's a hard N-O. We'll see how this litigation goes. We call it the Washington football team, don't we? I think we do. I think that's still the name of it. But a letter came out from their new president, Jason Wright, that was leaked. A letter was written to season ticket holders trying to get their involvement in naming the team. Remember when Jason Wright said that we may still name it the Washington football team and we did a wait to see that said the name will change? Well, Wright sent an article, sent an article, he sent a letter to his season ticket holders saying, we want you involved. Help us come up with a name. This is an ongoing iterative process. We're using focus groups, stakeholder interviews, large scale surveys, other qualitative and quantitative approaches to understand what fans want and what types of names resonate with our fans, he wrote. To that end, we wanna ask all of you, and he put all caps in the email, for your input on what types of names and what kinds of names are most meaningful to you. When you're writing an email to fans and you capitalize a word, you're trying to get them to focus on that word. When you capitalize you in a letter to season ticket holders, you're trying to make them feel a part of a process, make them feel important, make them forget about the lack of success on the field, make them forget about the boardroom drama and say, you are our stakeholders. It's horse hockey. It's horse hockey. The likelihood of a season ticket holder choosing the name 
of the Washington football team going forward is the same likelihood that I will be able to dunk a basketball on a 10-foot hoop. It's not going to happen without a ladder. How about some of the names, though? The Washington Ambassadors. Um, Doubtful. Oh, I like this. The Washington Armada. Here comes the Armada. The Washington Commanders, the Defenders. How about the Demon Cats? I wonder what the, uh, what's it called? The mascot would be if they're the Washington Demon Cats. Would it be like a, a guy with horns and a red cape? But with whiskers? I like this, though. The Washington Icons. We are icons of failure. There's another good one. The Washington Presidents. There could be a Mount Rushmore, like of the four greatest presidents, but you'd have to have, if they're red uniforms, they'd be red presidents, maybe. That's a good one. I like that. The Washington Red Hogs. It's better than Redskins. Remember the Hogs back in the 80s, their offensive line? Nah, not going to happen. Oh, I like this, though. The Washington Rubies. Yeah, that is very, that's a tough name. What's the reality here, folks? You, capital Y, capital O, capital U, have capital Z, capital E, capital R, capital O say in what the new name will be. But they don't want you to know that. Dan's choosing. Trust me. It's just Dan. I think he should focus on getting back to the playoffs. They've won two playoff games since 1999 under Dan Snyder. Been to the playoffs five times now. He's been there 22 years, five playoff times. I was there 16 years with one playoff, but one ring. Does winning a ring count as multiple playoff appearances? Put that on the poll. I don't know why I said that. We don't have a poll. I was channeling Lebetard. I think a ring should count for like 30 years of no playoff appearances. Yeah, that's just me. The Washington football team will be known as the Washington Demon Cats. Wait to see. <laughs> Love, Jason. When we come back, I did something last night that I had not done in a very long time. And get your head out of the gutter, Coca. It wasn't that. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Today is Friday. It's just another manic Friday. Wish it were Saturday because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day. Just another manic Friday. I went to a movie last night, Coca, an actual movie theater. I went to a movie theater that had burnt down, got re. Coca, did I lose Wi-Fi? Can you hear me? Are we still on? My connection is unstable, I'm seeing. The, welcome to the world. I have an unstable connection. How do they know what's going on in my brain? I'm not unstable. Isn't it the most stable people who can seem unstable? I think the most unstable people are the one who appear to be stable. When you appear to be unstable, you have to be stable to do it. It's like when I tell people, how do you do a show for 45 minutes, they ask, with no prompter, nothing written down but topics. And the answer is it takes so much work that Coke and I do every day for a show. We prepare so much to look unprepared, you have no idea. Think about that concept, how hard it is to look unprepared. That takes so much effort. That's why I'm exhausted by Friday. Can't even talk. By the end of the week, I have to drink hot herbal tea or hot something. I went to a movie theater. I watched in one sitting every nominated live action short film. Now I do a pool Oscar pool every year and I try to win it because I'm competitive and I hate losing. And the live action short films I've never seen any year because you can't get them. And I'm not in SAG. If anyone out there can get me into SAG, that'd be good. I was in the movie, The Three Stooges, I was on Survivor. Why can't I have a SAG card? Come on. I just want screeners. Although you don't really need screeners anymore because you can go to a movie theater and see all five live action short films in a row, starting with The Present. The Present was a movie about a Palestinian man celebrating his anniversary, crossing the border into Bethlehem to go shopping for his wife and how he's treated at the border by the Israeli soldiers. Falling Through was about a man who was deaf and blind, played by an actor who's deaf and blind, by the way. First time a deaf and blind actor has ever been cast. Does that mean that he wasn't an actor until he was cast and now he's an actor? Or was he always an actor but never could get a role, which just made him like so many other actors? Deaf and blind man and the relationship that he strikes at a bus stop with a, what I would call homeless young man, who was looking for a place to stay and sort of the experience they had together. Two Distinct Strangers, it's on Netflix actually, Two Distinct Strangers is a movie like Groundhog Day about a young black teenager played by a actor whose name I forgot, but Coca, find out the name who stars in Two Distinct Strangers because I have a feeling that his name has letters in it that are not actual letters in the alphabet but I could be making that up, but I have that feeling. 
And it is a story about his feeling that he's going to be killed by cops. The actor's name is Joey Badass, but I think the S's are dollar signs, although you put it in my in, I'm in the document so small that I can't see it um, because my glasses aren't on. Oh, it's just, oh, so he's a rapper, so it is two S's. So I, I must have read that wrong. In any case, it's a rapper. He's a rapper making his first appearance as an actor. Short films are all a half hour or shorter. And in this movie, he basically has this dream that he can't wake up from. And he repeats the same day every day where he ends up getting killed by a police officer. And this is a very poignant short film about what's been going on recently. Very poignant given what just happened in Minnesota again what's happening in way too many places. It is an Oscar favorite because of the subject matter, though I do not think it will win. White Eye was the fourth movie, and we're seeing all of these in a row, by the way. Phenomenal. While eating Skittles, popcorn, Swedish fish, and good and plenty. White Eye is a movie from Israel, a short film, about a man who wants to get his stolen bicycle back and what happens trying to get his bicycle back. It is about immigration. It's about all of the issues that people have in life right now. God, we have so many issues as a world. And then the last movie was fascinating because there's a huge star in the movie. His name is Oscar Isaacs. If you have not seen Inside Lewin Davis, please see it. Oscar Isaacs' wife, wrote and directed this short film called Letter Room about a corrections officer played by Oscar Isaacs who tries to, it's just Oscar Isaac, I apologize. Sorry, Coca, thank you. Who apologizes, I'm apologizing to you for saying Oscar Isaacs, to you, Oscar. You're such a great actor and I added an S. I must've been thinking of Joey Badass. That's not his name either. I got the name wrong again from two distinct strangers. So can I just interrupt for one second? So we have this document in front of me. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then I sometimes when my eyes go down, I'm looking at the computer. When my eyes go up, I'm looking into the camera. And so this document is a living document during the show. So Coca has two ways to communicate, we, communicate with me during a show. He can either talk to me in my ear or he can write things in the document. And sometimes he does both. Sometimes he does neither. That's when he's not paying attention to the show and he's taking a break because under his union rule, he does not have to ever sit in one place for 45 straight minutes. And it's always a mystery during a particular show, which four and a half minutes he decides to disappear. We never know. You know, because when I need something and I don't get it, I tell you the Coke is gone. So he wrote Joey Badass on the document. He said it in my ear. I said it to you, but then he deleted it from the document and I forgot already by the time I had to say his name again. Letter Room with Oscar Isaac was the last live, live short, not animated, live action short film. And as a corrections officer, he is assigned to the letter room where he has to go through every piece of mail outgoing or incoming to people in prison, including to people on death row, and it's a story of how he decides to get involved in somebody's business in a way that is wholly inappropriate, wholly bizarre, but a little touching at the end. So where are we with the live action short films? I'm not giving you my Oscar ballot yet. We'll do that next week on next week's show. I will release my Oscar ballot. So let me just give you this. If you have a chance to watch these live action short films, I would do it in the following order. 
falling through the present, two distinct strangers, letter room, white eye. That would be the order that I'd watch them. That does not necessarily give you my choice for the winner of the Oscar. My choice for the winner of Cy Young in Major League Baseball this year is not going to be Patrick Corbin. He sucks. And he's rich. Coca, how long is his contract? He signed that huge long-term deal. Strasburg just signed that huge deal also, the extension after the World Series MVP. He struggled this year after being hurt last year. Patrick Corman signed that big deal after they let Jordan Zimmerman go to the Tigers, which ended up being a nightmare for the Tigers. And they signed this guy, Patrick Corbin, who we liked. We actually tried to trade for him by trading Jose to the Diamondbacks for Patrick Corbin. And he's been great. He signed a six-year, $140 million deal. I assume this is year three then. Am I wrong? It could be year four. It goes through 2025. What year are we now? So this is 21, 22, 23, 24. Holy shnikes, Coca. He has four years left on this deal. And he's making $140 million over six, which is two remainder two, which is three, about 23 per year. Ruh-roh. I thought Patrick Corbin would have a good game last night against the Diamondbacks. And his ERA is now 20. We are now 50 and 31 because we had a pick of the day for Patrick Corbin. Explain to me why we did that. Because I didn't want to believe that he was this bad. All right. Apologize, Dice. We got three picks. Three picks were given you for the weekend. Last weekend, we did that. and We went one and two. So I want to try to do better than that because I like being at least 20 games over 500. Big game tonight. Toronto Blue Jays are a great story in baseball. Maybe one of the top two teams are the top two teams in the American League East. One of the stories of the year is Steven Matz, who the Mets traded because he was not performing well with the New York Metropolitans. The Mets, by the way, their ERA has been terrific this year. They don't miss Steven Matz yet, but they will. Steven Matz is having a great season, and he is playing the Royals, who are a surprise first-place team. It's a sucker bet. Take the Blue Jays. Matz over the Royals tonight, Friday, April, I don't know what the date is, 16th. Tomorrow night, the Braves, who just squeaked out one win in a four-game series against the upstart Marlins. Although, can you be upstart when you were in the playoffs last year? I don't think they're upstart. The Braves have a pitcher named Noah, young, like 22 years old. His stuff is wicked. It's wicked good. I was trying to have a Boston accent like Mark Wahlberg and Ted. It's wicked good. I don't think that's it. Anyway, the Cubs offense is so anemic that Anoa has a chance to give up 0-1 run. Braves over the Cubs on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we're going to the NBA. There's a sucker bet coming here, folks, so get ready. The Heat are playing the Nets. The Nets obviously have a better record than the Heat. The Heat have struggled on their trip when they lost to Phoenix and Denver two games in a row. The Heat will cover. I think the Heat will win the game outright. Sunday, heat over the Nets. So to review my three picks of the weekend, nothing personal pick of the day where we are 50 and 31. Jays over the Royals on Friday. Braves over the Cubs on Saturday. Heat over the Nets on Sunday. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. And then we revisit it. Today was going to be the day we were going to revisit Jacob DeGrom's wait to see. But the Mets got rained out. 
So I think he's going tonight in Colorado. The Mets got rained out in Philly yesterday. They then flew to Colorado, landed in a snowstorm. Can you believe there's a snowstorm in the middle of April in Colorado? Come on. But they're going to find a way to get a game in. And we said that Jacob DeGrom would get five runs of support or more. So we'll revisit that on Monday. Because nothing personal is here every day. Monday through Friday. 45 minutes. Rate, review, follow, subscribe. Spotify. Get to Spotify. Spotify is a new thing, Coca. You go to Spotify, and if you follow nothing personal, then it goes into the algorithm of success, which helps Coca tremendously. So wait to see. We always revisit whether we're right or wrong. I'm making a call here, even though Corbin has four years left in his contract, including this year. Patrick Corbin, wait to see, is going to lose his rotation spot. How would we deal with this? I want to spend a few minutes on this. When you sign a player to a long-term deal and that player is not performing, I draw your attention to Chris Davis with the Baltimore Orioles as an example. The owner would say to the GM and the manager, keep playing him. I am not going to have a bench player making $20 million a year. Let him play out of it. He'll find his way back to what he was. And you play him, you play him, he stinks. You play him, he stinks. You play him, he stinks. You go to the owner and say, now? No. All right, you play him, he stinks. Now, no, you play him, he stinks. He's injured, thank God. You'd ever want to root for an injury. I'm not talking about life and death here. I'm talking about a little hammy, a little gluteus maximus bruises. Something that allows me not to play this player who we're being forced to play because we made a mistake and we're throwing good money after bad by continuing to play this player. The Nationals under Mike Rizzo and Mark Lerner have shown a willingness to acknowledge mistakes. Is the Patrick Corbin contract a mistake and how long will it take for Mark Lerner to give permission to Mike Rizzo to tell Dave Martinez that Corbin will no longer be in the rotation. Corbin has 16 and a third innings pitch so far this year. He's given up 15 runs. Is that good? The general rule of thumb for a guy who you're overpaying and it's the beginning of the season is that you are going to give him You are going to give him four starts to get his act together. I think Corbin, I may have said 16. I think he has six innings pitch total, and that's it because he's been so terrible. And I guess what would be two starts? Six innings pitched, 15 earned runs. That's even worse than 16 and 15. Four starts is what you would give before you say, hey, we got to move this guy to the bullpen and get him right. We got to put him in position where we're not out of games in the second inning. We are in last place right now with the rotation of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin with the best young player in baseball, not named Acuna, named Juan Soto. We just can't put up with it for much longer. The conversation start. I remember having these conversations with our GM and manager after we'd have a player who was not performing. Um, and I'd be told, just wait. We're going to give him the ball in five days, and he's going to return to what he was and to who he was. And I would say, how many starts? How many more starts? Let's give him a couple. Let's let him get through the month of April before we do anything. Wait to see. Patrick Corbin will be out of the rotation 
this season at some point. He may come back next season. He may come back if there's injuries. But there will be an announcement made that because of the lack of performance, they have decided to move Patrick Corbin out of the Nats rotation. Wait to see. Meanwhile, Fernando Tatis is back in the Padres rotation. I got to bring this up to talk about because sometimes we make announcements and we don't want to appear wrong. We don't want to be criticized for saying something too early, prematurely. So we double down. We do this as executives and presidents and owners and GMs because of you and because of our insecurities and us wanting to look as good and smart as possible so we can prove to ourselves that we're better equipped to do this job than you are, even though you spend your days telling us that you can do your, our job better than we can. What a weird job that is that we have that everyone around us says they can do it better. And in many cases, they're probably right. Though winning your fantasy baseball league does not mean that you can be a GM, might I add. Well, maybe. Nah, I'm just kidding. AJ Preller, one of my faves, had said that Tatis is only going to miss 10 days for his non-surgical required torn, partially torn shoulder labrum. He's been swinging a great bat. He looks great in BP. They're playing the Dodgers this weekend. And it turns out that the Padres are looking to activate Fernando Tatis for today's game against the Dodgers. How do I know this is the right move? I don't. How do I know it's the wrong move? I do. The reason I know it's the wrong move is that when you have a non-throwing shoulder torn labrum, it is easy for the player to convince the training staff, the medical staff, and the GM and owner that he's good to go. And Tatis, having signed that $340 million contract, doesn't want to be injured. He wants to be there for his teammates, doesn't want to have season-ending surgery. Remember, we told you that he will have that surgery at the last possible moment so he can be ready for next year's spring training. But the Padres have... I don't know, Coke, are they still the second best record in the National League behind the Dodgers who are already running away with the division? They're 11 and two. It is extremely unlikely that they will ever catch the Dodgers. The Padres are now not the second best. They're apparently behind the Giants who are playing over their weight class at the moment. In a long season, they'll be exposed. But the Padres believed, by the way, oh my God, I just had a thought, Coco. We didn't talk about Blake Snell. We didn't talk about the fact that Blake Snell was taken out of the game early by Tingler and lost his mind. He was having like memories of his time in Tampa. Anyway, San Diego's got some issues. And what they're trying to do is bring Tatis onto the field prematurely because Tatis has convinced them he's fine by having good BP. I learned this over and over again during the course of my career. The correlation between a good BP and being ready to play in games is de minimis. The correlation between having a good bullpen, a good showcase when you're an unemployed pitcher and having success at the big league level during an actual game, that correlation is de minimis. But we all believe what we wanna believe. That is a common thread that doesn't just wind and weave its way through sports. 
It goes through your personal life. It goes through your professional life. It goes through everything. You want to believe what makes things easier for you, what makes things better for you, what gives you less confrontation, less agita, less anxiety. You want it to be true that Fernando Tatis is ready to go. So you look at a few swings in BP and you say, hell yeah. We need him against the Dodgers. It's a critical early season series. We got to show them that with Snell and Darvish and Machado and Tatis and Myers and Hosmer and yada, 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 that we can compete. NGTH. Not going to happen. Can you imagine how this plays out? Tatis comes back. His shoulder separates again. And then he has to go to surgery. Is that a problem for you? Is that a problem for me? It's not a problem at all. That's exactly the risk they're taking, and they know they're taking that risk, and they're fine taking that risk. That's the most amazing thing about how we deal with player injuries is we calculate our risk tolerance, and it's based on recovery once the injury requires surgery. It's based on where we are in the season. It's based on our record. It's based on our delusion of grandeur regarding winning a ring. It's based on service time for other players, contract status for other players. All these things go into the pot. And you stir it around and you say, we're bringing up Tatis and we're going to let him play. And we're going to cross our fingers and we're going to hope that it works out. The irony is when it doesn't work out, all you do is meet the media and say, Fernando Tatis will be undergoing season-ending surgery tomorrow. We are very disappointed, but we tried to rehab him. We tried everything we could to get him back, but it just wasn't meant to be. If Fernando Tatis comes back and plays the whole season, never has injury, never has surgery, and the team makes the playoffs, you get to say to your owner during bonus time, we did the right thing. We're sending out season ticket and playoff invoices because we had Tatis and he did not get hurt again. So that's good. What happens if you bring him back and he doesn't play well, but he doesn't get re-hurt? That's when you meet the media and you say, we've met with Tatis. We both agree that he is not able to perform at the level that he wishes he could perform at. We both agree and we all agree that he is not showing the type of player he is. So we have mutually decided to shut him down and fix his shoulder. So every possible outcome has a way to deal with it. That's how we run a team. We make the best decision possible for now while taking into account what we may have to decide later. And we do it all with one thing in mind that it's just business. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.